Hi, this is Dee, and you're listening to my podcast, Let Me Clear My Throat. Uh, here lately, I've been talking a lot about um, different forms of mental illness and disabilities, disorders, basically uh, self-identification, a lot of things that I've been going through, um, my own self-personal experiences, and a little bit of variety of everything. Um I have a few things that I am working on now that I would like to touch base on um, here in the very near future. However, since I am working on this project, I don't want to like, how do I say, I kind of like jump the gun, I guess, and get ahead of my research. Um, So that being said, I'm going to try to ease in um, and do a little bit at at a time and then hopefully not only educate myself uh, more in depth to be able to get to where I'm hoping to go, um, but also to maybe give some incitement, um, if incitement is a word, I think it's a word, anyway, it's a word now, um, insight, there, that's the word, incitement, I guess we can make incitement a word, anyway, the English language makes up words anyways, right, um, so anyway, give some insight um, to others um, regarding particular subjects and areas, it might help educate, but it also might help Uh, give some information, but at the same time, too, I am all open to feedback because this is not necessarily um, an area of my expertise. I'm learning some of this um, as I'm reading it because I did um, get this from some websites. I know normally I've been free micing it a lot, um, but sometimes I like to print out my resources and cite them, obviously, because uh, my information is usually um, as good as my resource. So, um, and nowadays, that's few and far between on what's uh, realistic and what's not. Um, so anyway, um, I'm going to touch base on basically uh, criminals, felons, um, criminal law, felon rights, um, obstacles that felons um, have to endure upon release from prison. Um, also, their different daily day to day livelihood. Um, Obviously, um, if you are going through this or you can relate to this, I by no means am I trying to act like I know what I'm talking about on where you're at, what you're feeling, what you've went through, because I know everybody's story is different. Um, But I, like I said, I do have, hopefully have a plan and objective for this all to work up to. Um, But I'm doing my research a little bit at a time. So... I want to kind of go over some things, um, and if you have any suggestions um, or any information, please feel free to let me know, um, because obviously the best resources are those that have went through it, and um, I cannot say that I am that person. However, I do have some very, very close um, loved ones in my life that um, have and are, so that being said... I'm going to get started um, on my podcast, and I might jump around. Some things might be a little bit repetitive because I am, uh, like I said, reading some things that I printed off. So some different websites might overlap some information. So we're just going to have to kind of go with it. So the first one I took was from Legal Match, LegalMatch.com. I've never been on Legal Match before. so this is this was a different website for me. Um, however, I printed off some paperwork off of there. 
that I wanted to go over. And I'm going to read it to you as it was printed off of the page. So we're going to learn it together. <laughs> um, so it starts off asking, what is criminal law? Civil law addresses behavior that causes some sort of injury to an individual or other private party through the use of lawsuits. The legal penalties, penalties excuse me, for any parties found liable for, the, for these acts are generally monetary, but can also include court-ordered remedies such as injunctions or restraining orders. Criminal law addresses behavior that is considered to be uh, an offense against society, the state, or public, even if the victim is an individual person. Someone convicted of a crime will be forced to pay criminal fines and may also lose their freedom by being sentenced to jail or prison time. Regardless of whether someone is being charged with a serious crime or a minor crime, the accused person still has the right to a trial, as well as certain other legal uh, protections as provided by the United States Constitution. Um, I was going to interrupt there, but I'm going to keep reading because I have something I want to say there. Criminal procedure refers to the overall legal process of adjudicating claims for those accused of violating criminal laws. The intention behind all criminal procedures is known as the presumption of innocence, meaning that a, su a sub subject excuse me, is considered to be innocent until proven guilty. Now, I'm going to say this. Why that sounds all good and dandy, I like to believe that, unfortunately, that is not true. <laughs> I believe everybody is guilty until proven innocent. And even when you're proven innocent, you're still looked at as being guilty. And even when you're guilty, you still want to presume your innocence. Because there are a lot of uh, cases, I believe, that um, do not get the justification that they deserve. And I think that a lot of times um, prosecuting attorneys and other um, entities that are court-appointed, um, they are paid by the courts. So really, are they non-biased? Um, you know, it's just kind of my, my question there. And as for the Constitution, um, the Constitu Constitution was written for a purpose. And they are rights that all Americans um, are entitled to. It is their, their right as an American to be um, blessed by the United States Constitution. And it, it is um, written, and I'm going to say this, let me rephrase this. The words that it's written by and enforced of, as an American, and I'm hoping I explain this the way it's in my head, is enforced and possible by the men and the women who defend it with their lives every day. It's not the government that sits behind a table and a chair with all the different colored pins to sign their name an appropriate way or however it all goes. It's the men and women who, do, who sacrifice their lives every single day to make that Constitution possible. And I have said this several times. I am an American. I'm proud to be an American, but not because of our government. 
I am proud to say I'm an American because of the men and women who have gave their lives and defend their lives to give me the right to be an American. That is my difference. So that being said, I'm going to continue reading. <laughs> it says criminal procedures includes matters such as stop, detention, and arrest, search and seizure, booking and filing charges, suspect and eyewitness lineup identification, appointment of a counsel, plea bargaining, criminal evidence, a trial, criminal sentencing, an appeal, and probation and parole. Now, I'm going to add to this. <laughs> it should also say, I, I don't know how I'm going to word this, um, neglect to add onto your sentencing that you're going to be sentenced by society and the government continuously for the rest of your life. It forgets to say that part. So I'll add that on there. Um, and I say this because, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and um, we got onto the big discussion about felonies and felons and the rights of felons and the obstacles that they endure. And, um, you know, it's it amazes me and not in a good way, um, that mankind, the government, society, however you want to word it, um, is okay with the way they treat a human being that has already done their time. When you go, and let me, re, let me re elaborate. When you go and get sentenced on a, a case, if you go to, to court and you go to jail, if you commit a crime or whatever, and you go to court, and you're sentenced, and you go to prison, you go to jail. Jail and prison are two different things, um, from what I have been told. And I am, um, I have been inside of uh, the in-between, the jail and the prison. Um, actually, I was going to get a job um, as a correctional officer. Um, I call it the in-between. It's where they transition from jail to prison. Um, but some things come up and I ended up, I, I job shadowed and everything and things have come up and I didn't end up getting, taking the job. So anyway, um, when I, when a person goes to court and they are sentenced and let's, let's just say hypothetically you're new to it. Okay. Like you've never been sentenced, uh, before you never went to jail, whatever, we're just going to do with a new person. Um, it is never explained in your sentencing. When they do your sentencing and they lay it all out and they're like, okay, let's hypothetically say you're going to get 10 years, okay? You're going to get 10 years, um, but you're only going to have to do half time, which I know they've changed the law on that. I think now it's like 75% or 25%, no, 75% or something. Like that. It's, they change it. It's not, it's not ha uh, one for one anymore, I don't think. But anyway, for argument's sake, let's say they get half time, okay? Which means they get sentenced for 10 years, but they get out in five, and they got probation, parole, whatever. So in the meantime, you get out, and you're a felon. Now, in your probation, parole, 
you need to get a job, you need to get stable housing, you need to be able to start showing that you can put your life back together, right? But they neglect to tell you when you're in your sentencing, that's going to be close to near impossible to do. Because you're going to have restrictions on getting housing, you're going to have restriction on getting a job, you're going to have restrictions on possibly being able to have a license and get a vehicle. Um, and even though, say, you've been in prison because um, what is going to hypothetically say back child support. So you got somebody with back child support, and then you got somebody in there for, um, say, murder. Or not, let's say murder, because murders are higher than 10 years. Unless um, let's just say um, burglary. Okay? So you got somebody that was in there for back child support and somebody that was in there for burglary. They're going to come out of prison with the same obstacle of putting their life back together. So you got somebody who committed a nonviolent crime and a violent crime, and the limitations of putting their life back together are going to be almost slim to hardly at all. Because if finding a landlord or a place to rent to you is going to be next to impossible. Finding a job that will take the chance to believe in you is going to be next to impossible. And if you're, say, back on child support, hypothetically, you might have your license suspended, and you might end up, they might end up putting a lien on your vehicle if you have a vehicle, but yet you're expected to get back and forth to work and have a home and pay any money due. But all the restrictions of you being able to have that are causing an issue for this to be possible for you, which then also leads to basically falling back into a life of crime to survive to take care of your family. But also, too, it does something to a person's self-esteem that is trying so hard to do better. And it's very difficult to put your life back together when you don't have the necessary tools to put your life back together. And you have your constitutional rights taken from you, but they neglect to tell you this in your sentencing. That, oh, on top of your 10 years and your probation and any classes you have to do, on top of that, you're losing your constitutional rights of this, this, and this, and this. And that should be included in your sentence. Because you're going to be sentenced after you come out of prison for a crime that you have already done your time for by people that don't even know your story, don't even know who you are, don't even know the details of why you were where you were. All they do is see it in black and white on a piece of paper that just says, you know, felony. But they don't take the time to understand and I know this isn't on everybody, and, and but I'm just I'm just going with let's just say, okay? They don't take the time to understand the rehabilitation process that's supposed to have taken place while you're in prison. People go in there, you know, and and I'm not belittling um, religion or any by any means, but people go in there, they go to church, they a lot of some of them for the first time actually find God in there. They're rehabilitated. They do rehabilitation classes. They they go and get degrees. They um, do all these programs they have to try to better themselves, to try to rehabilitate themselves. 
But then they forget to tell them, hey, you're going to come do this program. You're going to get this degree. But when you get out, nobody's going to hire you for it. You can't use this. But hey, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let you do it in here and give you false hope that when you get out that you'll be able to do this. But as a felon, it's impossible pretty much. And if you do, um, it's probably pretty much um, a blessing, a luck, a luck of the draw basically. Um, because there are a lot of programs in there, a lot of um, quote unquote rehabilitation programs that are not really rehabilitating you back into society. And depending on the level of crime that you committed will limit the level of rehabilitation that you are allowed to take. And then that's not really rehabilitating, especially if you got a more uh, in-depth crime, you know, and um, you would think rehabilitation would be uh, more precedent, actually. But then you're handed the world. Here, here's the world. Good luck finding a home. Good luck finding a job. Good luck having enough money to get you a car. Um, you're probably going to be limited on being able to get any assistance for the government because you're a felon. Um, but, you know, hey, you're rehabilitated, right? You found God, and um, all is good. And I'm not, don't, I'm, don't misunderstand. I'm not mis, uh, misrepresenting um, God or, or prayer or church or faith or anything of that nature. But society, um, so I think sometimes society thinks they need to be the system. And the system is not working with society, if that makes sense, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to go on to read, though. This is kind of my spew so far. <laughs> it says, so what is a violent crime? State laws differ in terms of how they classify violent and nonviolent crimes. Generally speaking, violent crimes or violent criminal offenses involve the use of force or injury of the body of another person. The seriousness of a violent crime is generally determined by the degree of physical harm that was caused to the victim. An example of this would be how some states may impose more severe penalties for crimes resulting in serious bodily harm or serious bodily injury. The seriousness of the crime may be further elevated by the use of weapon, especially if that weapon is classified as a deadly weapon. Some crimes may qualify as violent crime even if the victim of the crime was not injured. An example of this would be how many crimes involving the threat of injury to a person may qualify as a violent crime, such as with assault crimes. The victim's characteristics, char characteristics excuse me, could also influence the seriousness of the charges. An example of this would be if the victim was a police officer, a woman, or a child. The defendant will likely be subject to increased charges because of the characteristics of the victim. So, I'm going to ask this question. The victim's characteristics, char easier characteristics, easier word said than done, could be influence the seriousness of the charges. 
So it says an example, this would be if the victim was a police officer, woman, or a child. So is this mean that children, women, and police officers are <laughs> are the only ones, I guess, that it makes it serious? I'm, and maybe I'm, I mean, guys, I mean, women and children and police officers commit crimes too. I mean, maybe I'm rewording re this wrong, but that kind of sounds stereotypical, you know, stereotype to me. I mean, it really kind of does, the way that it's worded. Um, it says an example of this would be if the victim was a police officer, a woman, or a child. The defendant will likely be subject to increased charges because of the characteristics of their victim. So because it would be a police officer, a woman, or a child, then their charges would be increased because of that. So if it's a guy, it's not, I mean, it's not any more important. It's only if it's a woman, child, or a police officer. Well, that's very, that's very, how do I say it? That's wrong. That's just wrong. Um, it shouldn't, I mean... That sounds very uh, stereotyped to me, very um, discriminating, in my opinion. Okay, then it goes on. It says, a violent crime belongs to the class of crimes containing some elements of violence, element of violence. Threats of harm, especially when Im immediate and can cause genuine fear, can also be considered violent crimes under special circumstances. Violent crimes are set in contrast to other types of crimes, such as property crime, because the other party does not get injured during a property crime. Um, well, <laughs> um, so anyway, it says different violent crimes categories vary based on jurisdiction. However, in general, violent crimes may include assault and battery, robbery, which can be defined as theft combined with the use of force. Various types of homicides, including murder and manslaughter, kidnapping, domestic violence, sexual assault and abuse crimes, false imprisonment, and armed robbery. Violent crimes may be considered either a misdemeanor or a felony. However, there are some crimes, such as homicide, that will always be considered as a felony crime. Additionally, some unintentional acts may be categorized as a violent crime. An example of this would be homicide resulting from a DUI, which occurs when a drunk driver unintentionally kills someone because of their drunk driving. Whether this will be categorized as a violent crime will largely depend on the facts of your case, along with the jurisdiction in which the crime is being tried. So what rights, rights do violent offenders forfeit? What rights do violent, violent offenders have? Many in, individuals who are considered to be violent offenders lose the rights that are afforded to them by the U.S. Constitution. For example, oh, I'm sorry, an example of this would be how violent offenders lose the right to sit on a jury. However, the type of rights that are taken away may also depend on the jurisdiction in which individual lives. So, depending on where you live, on whether or not your rights are taken away from you, it should be across the board, I would think. 
Because the U.S. Constitution, that is the United States. It's the country. It's not, it's, it, it's not, it doesn't say in the Constitution, hey, this one's only going to apply in this state and not in this state. That's the government dictating um, where your rights are to go. This is like an example. And maybe this, well, yeah, this is kind of an example. So it's like another subject I get on. Um, let's just say the legalization of uh, marijuana, pot, cannabis, whatever you want to call it. Um, some states it's legal. Some states it's not. Some states um, it's legal as long as it's synthetic. As long as the government has their hands in it to be able to monopolize on it and they can sell it at a local gas station, um, it's legal. But somebody who grows it in their yard and it's natural, that's illegal. So, but depending on what state you live in. So, for instance, say you have, you're a parent and you have two children. For argument's sake, we're going to say they're identical twins, okay? They've had the same upbringing, the same life, they're identical. One of them decides to move to a state where marijuana is legal. The other one stays in a state that is not. Now, let's say both of them are adamant smokers, okay? Well, the one that lives in a state that is legal, uh, he doesn't get in trouble. The one that lives in a state that it is illegal, he gets arrested and has to do time and now has a mark on his criminal history. So now his life is um, major obstacles in the way. You know, depending on how severe um, the prosecution was and how severe the crime punishment was, I guess, per that state, will depend on how much of a huge um, charge was put on him. So as a parent now, <clears throat> you're looking at your two twins, one of them lives in a state where it's legal. One lives in a state it's not. And he's doing time. And so now his criminal life is marked. And it's all because in a, he lives in a different state. But he's doing the exact same thing that his twin is doing in another state. And it's okay. But if he goes to the gas station and buys something synthetic, because, you know, synthetic is just way better, right? Because people in this world are not making stuff up in the backyard of their wannabe lab. Um, and they're selling it in a gas station. So because it's synthetic and the government has their, their hands on making a profit off of it, then all of a sudden that way is legal. So if this, say, this twin would have got his... Uh, you know, stuff from the gas station. It would have been legal. But yet, if you did something naturally, it's not. Yeah, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I think our government, and I, I, I don't even have to finish that sentence because I'm sure everybody's going, we already know. <laughs> we already know. Just say that government, and then everybody's just like, yep. <laughs> we don't even need to go there. But, you know, this is, um, we got some serious issues in this, in, in this, I'm just telling you. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And then you got, 
and I'm going to get sidetracked off this, but you know, that's okay, because this needs to be talked about. Then you got people that are making fake drugs everywhere. Fake pills, fake drugs, they're lacing stuff. More and more of our population and our younger generation are dying innocently from not being innocent. And I say that because our children are are innocent until we, let me rephrase this. Yeah, that's the way I'm going to say it. Our children are innocent until they're corrupted. They're corrupted by society, by different factors in their life, um, sometimes family upbringing, sometimes their school system, sometimes um, their friends and their neighbor, sometimes by movies and television, sometimes by music. It's, it's a variety of everything. Now, I'm not saying we all are going to be June and, and Ward Cleaver, <coughs> if, if you all know who that is. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and vacuum with pearls on, you know, but at the same time, too, we need to realize that the education that we need to give our children doesn't necessarily always need to come out of a textbook. Because teaching our kids history and things about our country, yes, it is important. It is important because a lot of our generations nowadays are offended by so much that they're taking our history away. They're taking away cursive writing. That's a second language. Cursive writing is a form of a language. And you're going to get to the point where everything is going to be so electronic that your signature is going to be made up by a computer-generated signature. So then your signature is not even going to be authentic anymore. It's going to be computer-generated. So how secure is that really? You know, my, my youngest daughter, when she had to, they, somebody told her to sign her name, she's like, I, I don't know how to sign my name. I can print my name. And so she had to practice how to do cursive to sign her name. And she's like, I can read cursive, Mom, because of you. Because I print and write cursive. I, I do both. Um, you know, in the same paragraph. <laughs> Depends what move my hand takes. Um, but I had wrote this one person one time. Um, um, it was a younger generation. He was in jail. He was in prison. And um, it was a, a friend, a family friend. And um, he wrote me back and he said, um, for future reference, <laughs> please try to print. Because I can't read cursive. He said, I made it out for the most part what you were saying, but can you please try to print? Because I I can't read that. It's a foreign language. And um, he's in his early 20s. You know, and it's, and it's sad to know that our generation is, is having things taking a, taken away from them. So all these important documents and all these things that um, parents are writing or famous people are doing or influencers are doing, whatever, if it's written in anything but print and legible print, our future generation is not even going to know what the heck they're even looking at. And they won't even know how to translate it. Because, you know, Google never understands. And Google's got way too much control over this, this world, way too much control over this world. And um, that's a whole different podcast. So I'm going to finish reading this. Um, let's see. Where was I? Um, it says, so what rights do they forfeit? What rights do they have? 
Many individuals are considered to be violent and criminals, offenders, lose the rights that are afforded to them by the U.S. Constitution. Oh, I read that part, didn't I? I lose, sit on your, I already read that part. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, as a violent offender, you're generally prohibited from legally possessing a gun. As such, many, many jurisdictions require firearm dealers to conduct a background check prior to selling a gun in order to ensure that the person purchasing a gun is a nonviolent offender. Now, I have a lifetime gun permit, okay? And I don't know if it's true. I was told this, and I don't doubt it. But now they're getting it to the point, and I don't know if it's across the board of the whole country or if it's just certain states, but you don't need a gun permit to have a gun now. So if that's the case, there's no background checks being done. And so say you have somebody that is a felon, comes out of prison, stays with somebody that has a lifetime gun permit or a gun permit or whatever, or has the right to carry a firearm, then that kind of puts uh, a little bit of dilemma in there. Now, obviously, um, the person that has the right to carry a firearm, I mean, obviously, they should be able to have the constitutional right to have a firearm um, as long as they don't have it and um, the ability for the other person to have access to it. Well, if the person has it on them, I mean, it's kind of a fine line. But it goes to, to also ask the question, you know, if somebody is behind in their child support, what does that have to do with them having a, a firearm? What 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 does that purpose serve? I, I, I don't understand that part. Now, if somebody, say, is a violent offender in the sense of maybe they... Um, you know, had murder, murder with a firearm or, you know, armed robbery or, you know, whatever, that maybe I can understand a little bit more. However, if they're in the prison sentence and they're being rehabilitated and they serve their time, when they get out, they still shouldn't be punished for a crime they've already served time for by having their constitutional rights taken away from them. That's my opinion. Um, and I'm going to, I'll end up getting on that subject as much as I get on the subject of veterans and being homeless. And if you listen to my other podcast, not, you, y'all know how I feel about that. And I will get going on that. So I'm going to have to keep reading because I'll change subjects here. And that's a whole different ball game. But I am, and, and I'm not, I have not been in trouble with the law. Thank goodness. Um, you know, but that doesn't mean I haven't done things wrong. You know, sometimes, I, 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 I said this to my friend the other day, there are more innocent people sitting in jail than there are not in jail. Because they either one didn't get caught, or um, I guess it's not who you know, you know, I guess, or who, who you are, or how much money you got. You know, I, I was reading something the other day, and I don't want to be verbatim on what it was about because I don't want to misquote it, but it was um, a story I had saw, um, and I was talking to my friend about it, and she was like, yeah, yeah. Um, these particular uh, first responders, I'm going to say first responders, I'm not going to classify what class they were in, of where they were at. First responders um, had done something illegal. That was a felony. And there were four of them. 
And instead of going to prison, they just had to pay a big hefty fine of like, I don't know, 90-some thousand dollars or something. Um, they could get their felonies expunged and not do jail time. And their their uh, sentence was paying uh, the, the fine. In exchange, they got um, their felony expunged and didn't get jail time. And I want to say it was embezzlement. <clears throat> I want to say it was, but don't quote me on that. Um, but how is that okay? How is that okay? How is it okay for them to get out of being classified as a felon, uh, not going to prison, and not getting their rights taken away from them? So it's not even going to be seen. And let's hypothetically, let's say it was embezzlement, okay? Um, so they've embezzled money. And it's okay for them to go somewhere, a job, um, find a home, or whatever, get a car, um, credit cards, whatever the whole nine yards, okay? And it's okay for them to keep doing that because nobody's going to know from their background check that they were arrested, or not, not hypothetically arrested, but not done jail since time because their stuff was expunged. And they're not going to know this from a background check. So then you got these people that are doing background checks and it comes back clean. But in fact, they basically got a slap on the hand from doing their embezzlement as long as they pay back this fee. But then you got people out there that are behind on their child support that maybe have been falling back on hard time. Or maybe they um, robbed a place because they were trying to get money and feed their family. Or maybe they stole food from the grocery store or, or whatever the case may be. But they are now a felon for life, and they can't get a home. They can't get a job. They can't get a credit card. They can't even get um, government assistance <clears throat> because they're marked for the rest of their life. Unless they hire a lawyer, and you're lucky to get an expungement on one of your crimes. So let's hypothetically say maybe you have two. You know, two counts of whatever, or one count of this, one count, whatever the case may be. I hope you understand my point. That's just not right. And I don't understand how we, as taxpayers, civilians, and human beings, for that matter, are put in a position by our government, our judicial system, and everything that we're supposed to stand for. If we're not, we're not able to, as human beings, look past the sentencing. Look past the fact of everybody deserves a right to start over. And if you are in jail and you are in prison and you have served your time, you should not be coming out of prison to continue your sentence to society. When society was not even involved in your sentencing in the first place. And they probably don't even know your case. They probably don't even know what happened, or where it happened, or anything about it. All they see is the background check coming back that says felon. And that's not, that's not right. That's not cool. You know, and it's like they go in there to be rehabilitated, rehabilitated in a very, um, Unrehabilitating world. 
You know, you got all these um, famous people that are recovering drug addicts, recovering alcoholics, recovering whatever, shoplifters, whatever they are. And society still loves them. Congratulates some on their sobriety. Congratulates some on their uh, doing good and still supports their movies or their music or whatever it is they're doing. Still wants their autograph. Still goes to want to go see them or you know whatever the case may be. And then you have somebody's um, family member or neighbor or child or first responder or teacher, whoever it may be, a common, common human being of the world. And I don't want to say nobody because nobody's a nobody. Um, <laughs> everybody is somebody. Let me rephrase that. Um, and everybody matters. But to society, they, they have the audacity to pass judgment on them, talk down to them, not give them another opportunity, belittle them all the time, like, you know, everything negative, stereotype, you know, but yet a famous person, congratulations on your sobriety, good job, you've come a long way, uh, you know, blah, 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 and yeah, it, it, good job, it is. But you know what? Say to somebody else too that's not, you know, got a million dollars in their pocket or a hundred, you know, thousand dollars or whatever the case may be. You know, there's a homeless person out there who probably don't have a dime to his name who's recovering an alcoholic or a recovering addict, but, or maybe never even touched anything at all. But because he's homeless or she's homeless, um, they're stereotyped and they're they're less important. But yeah, then you got um, a famous person that has been homeless or fallen on hard times or whatever, and they're uh, they get all the glory of you know congratulations you you're a success story and we're proud of you and and yes 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 you should be. And I'm not belittling, don't mis I hope you don't misunderstand. I'm not putting the famous persons or whoever down. I applaud each and every one of you. However, I'm saying that should be across the board to anybody. It shouldn't matter if they have a hit movie or a hit record or, or um, a famous person or, or whatever the case may be. A human being is a human being. And that's the way they should be treated. You know, in, in my thoughts, you know, and that's what I feel about that. So, let's see, where was I at? Um, let's see, the rights to public benefits such as food stamps, cash assistance, social security, public housing are prohibited, prohibited from coming out of my mouth, prohibited for a violent offender. So, if you go and you, com you commit a violent crime... You don't get government assistance. You don't get Social Security. You don't get public housing. You don't get cash assistance. Can't hold a hold a handgun. You can't sit on a jury. Um, 
says a violent offender's criminal past will also affect the rights associated with visitation or custody. Many people who are convicted of violent crimes have their parental rights diminished, especially in custody or divorce battles. So then they lose their rights to their children. Um, whether a violent offender can regain some of their rights after leaving pr prison largely depends on the state in which they live. Some jurisdictions prohibit violent offenders from voting until they are released from prison. So you can't pr vote while you're in prison. Okay, now that one I understand. That one I can understand. Why other jurisdiction, jurisdictions ban voting for life because of the violent crime. However, violent offenders retain the right of the U.S. passport. It is important to note that while in the United States will permit the individuals to tra travel abroad, the country that they visit may not. So, you don't get food stamps, you don't get to carry a gun, you don't get a sit jury, you don't get cash assistance, you don't get Social Security, you don't get public housing, you lose the rights to your children, you could. Um, but we're going to let you keep your passport to go on vacation. <laughs> What is wrong with this world? Really? <laughs> Your violent criminal record may prevent you from being hired by certain employers. Many private employers conduct criminal background checks on all of their applicants, and some employers may not hire someone who was convicted of a violent crime. Violent criminals are also prohibited by the federal government for the following professions. Teaching, law enforcement agencies, military, and child care. <clears throat> Am I eligible for parole or probation as a violent offender? Parole is a part of criminal sentencing involving the early release of a defendant. State laws vary regarding parole. However, the convicted person must generally serve at least one-third of the original sentence in order to be eligible for parole. The parolee can then re-enter society, often in a limited way, and under the supervision of a parole officer. The parolee may need to meet certain requirements, such as staying out of legal trouble, meeting regularly with a parole officer, and performing community service acts. Parole is more common for less serious crimes and for juvenile offenders, and is often similar to probation. Supervised probation is an alternative form of sentencing which allows convicted offenders to avoid jail time. Instead of going to jail, they must follow a strict set of rules, such as maintaining and adhering to curfew, keeping a job, and prohibition from associating with known criminals. So again, it's kind of hard to keep a job if you can't get a job. And Associating with known criminals, does that mean that you know they're a criminal or the law enforcement knows they're a criminal? Because how are you supposed to know somebody's criminal background? You ain't going to go up to everybody and say, hey, yo, man, uh, you got a criminal history? You think anybody's going to say, yeah, man, yeah, I did time. Hey, yo, we can't hang out, brother. You know, really? I mean, I understand you don't want, like, you know, what, a posse of criminals together or a posse of friends together that are trying to help each other out because they're all supposed to be rehabilitated for starting their life over. 
So they're not coming out as criminals. They're coming out as free men, free women. They're not criminals anymore. They did their time. They're coming out as human beings. I mean, that's the way I look at it. While supervised probation and parole are similar, the most notable difference would be that parole involves supervision of a person who has also been released from jail after they have already served some of or most of their sentence. Alternatively, probation may be issued before the defendant has served their sentence. Whether a person is eligible for parole or probation will be determined by each state's law regarding the matter. Generally speaking, violent crimes are not eligible for parole or probation. So, I'm kind of confused on that then. So, if you do a violent crime, you're not eligible for parole and probation? So, when you get out of prison, are you not put on parole and probation? Or does that mean that... That kind of confuses me. I don't know. That leads me to the end part of, of this particular page. Uh, it says, do I need a, a lawyer for help with violent offender rights? Um, <laughs> it says, being convicted of a violent crime can be substantial negative impact on your personal professional life, which lasts long after you have finished serving a prison sentence. If you want to understand more about these rights that you may lose as a result of your violent crime or conviction, you should contact a criminal attorney. As experienced attorneys can help you understand your legal rights and options according to your state-specific laws and will also be able to present represent you in court as needed. So by no means am I giving any legal advice at all. Let me just put that on there. Um, obviously, yes, you do want to seek an attorney, but like I said before, if you get a point accorded a point court appointed attorney, and I'm not saying this is on all of them, because I'm sure there are some great ones out there, but they are paid by the court. So I don't I don't really see how that is not biased. I don't understand that part. I think that if they're gonna do a court-appointed attorney, they should let you be able to pick your attorney outside of the courthouse. Your choice. You should have the right to be able to pick your attorney and not have the attorney be paid to you by the courthouse that is trying to prosecute you. I don't see how that is fair. I really don't see how that's fair. Um, and again, <laughs> I'm not, um, I have never not been, I have not been on that side of the wall of sitting, um, in the little side chairs in the courtroom, you know, shackled and wearing, uh, inmate orange is what I call it, um, or whatever color that the state or wherever provides you. Because I know they do uh, change colors depending where you're at. Um, but the fact of the matter, I guess my point is, 
there's got to be a change in this system. You know, because we, I'm going to take this to different, a few different levels. We as taxpayers pay um, for the system. And let's say we don't have anybody we know that's in locked up or whatever, okay? But we as taxpayers pay for the system to rehabilitate those that come in it. So they can come out and be a part of society and become a taxpayer to also repeat the cycle of doing good. Now let's hypothetically say that as a taxpayer, we also have family or friends that are in the system and behind jails, which then becomes a big, huge monopoly of money because the person who is not in prison has to pay for everything. And it's a big, huge monopoly <laughs> um, because they go by certain companies that represent their particular jail or prison that handles this, that, and the other, and that company knows it. So you don't get choices on what you want to do or what company you want to use or who's the cheaper one. You don't get choices. You know, and it's a big, huge monopoly. It really, really is. And it's very unfair because the ones that are not sitting behind bars, um, I mean, <laughs> they're paying, and, and I'm not trying to belittle the people or try to take away the focus off of the severity of being behind uh, bars and being in jail and whatever that entails. And I'm not trying to, to belittle that or try to act anything differently on that. So please don't be offended by that part. But I'm just saying, as an outsider trying to help somebody who is on the inside, it's a big monopoly game. And there needs to be choices. I mean, there really does. There needs to be some severe changes in our system. I think we have gotten so used to being okay with just being told how things need to be done. And that's just the way they're going to be done. That nothing is being done to make it different, to actually have anything different about it, if that makes sense. Because you got people that are repeat offenders. You got habitual offenders. You got people that are coming out and continuing to do a life of crime to survive because of all the limitations and roadblocks that they're put in. And then the, the cycle is repeated continuously. And then let's say hypothetically that somebody went to jail for a crime, but yet they weren't convicted. They were found innocent, but yet they're going to come out and they're still going to be looked at it like they were guilty. Or they sit in jail forever, let's say months or a year or whatever, and they finally go to court and then they're found innocent. Is the court going to give them back their, their time that they sat behind bars, all not to be convicted? Do they get a time for the, the time that they set behind bars? Because they're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. So you're setting an innocent man behind jail until they go to court. And let's say he ends up being innocent, but in the whole year of his life is gone. He's been sitting behind bars the whole time he was innocent. How is that fair? Now, I understand you got people that are dangerous and menace to society and, and all of that stuff. And I get that. And a lot of people might run because they don't want to face their time or, you know, whatever. They got warrants and stuff on them and, and stuff like that. 
But then you've also got people that are, you know, maybe might actually be innocent. Innocent until proven guilty. And then you have an innocent man sitting in a jail waiting to be sentenced to go to court. Waiting to go to court to see if they're going to be prosecuted and sentenced. And in the meantime, their family is left without them questioning their um, their sanity, but also questioning um, their loved one's um, guilt or innocence, trying to find an attorney if they can afford one or take a court-appointed one and hope that it works out. Taking a plea bargain, maybe, because you just want to get out. Or you're giving misrepresentation of you're just going to get a slap on the wrist and then you don't. Then you end up doing time and you take a plea bargain because you've been sitting in jail so much. You're just like, you know what, I just want out. And if this plea bargain is going to get me out, then I'm just going to take it. And then you could have been very well innocent. But afraid of, of going to jail and doing more time for something you didn't even do. So you just take a plea bargain just to get the heck out of there. All to be then classified for the rest of your life as a guilty person, not only by your family, but society. But now you've got a record. And you might actually be innocent. And there are innocent people, obviously, that sit behind bars. Because they are the ones more so that is waiting trial that have not even been prosecuted. And I know that may be different, but is it really? And I'm not saying our, our system don't have flaws, and I'm not saying that our system isn't, um, doesn't have room to be fixed or doesn't have error. But at the same time, too, I think we need to really logically look at things. And we need to We need to really make some changes in, the, in this world. We really do. Because you have people go in there that are really, really trying to do better. They are, they detox in there, cold turkey detox. They, you know, most of them find God. They do programs to rehabilitate themselves. They reconnect with family members. They sit in a little bitty hole in the wall. If they're lucky to have a window, that probably would find it sometimes better to be in solitary confinement. For one, so one, you're safe. But two, you can have your own thoughts as your own thoughts. And you think about all the things of, you are you're left nothing but your mind and your mind overthinks your mind wanders your mind gets insecure you start questioning your own self-worth your own doubt the self-worth of your loved ones their you know their sincerity time stands still in there and outside world, it goes by in a different direction. And so if you call and somebody misses your call, because, you know, you call, you can't pick it up and call them back. Might be bad timing. You're never there when I call you. You're never there. Or, you know, 
you don't write me, or you don't, I need you to send me pictures, or I need money put on my commissary, or can you ma uh, order me something off the grill, or hey, I need a radio, or um, I, can I have some stamps, or whatever the case may be, or visitation, uh, of my phone calls. This is a lot of money racking up. A lot of money. And if you're already struggling in poverty already, then your resources are very limited on what you can offer your loved one that's sitting behind bars that is needing you more than ever. And then it makes you feel like um, a piece of poo <laughs> because you can't help them as much as what you want to because now you're left out there providing for a whole family on top of taking care of somebody who's incarcerated. And all these big plans and stuff of, you know, I'm going to do better. And I say this male or female. I'm not trying to play sex because there's women out there that do Hades crimes just as much as a male does, okay? And kids. There are. But kids are, are that's a little, I mean, a little bit sensitive subject there. But, um, you know, they got big plans to come out. I, I want to go to church. I found God. I've been baptized. I want to get a job. I've done this program. I got this degree now. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've realized how much you mean to me and how much I've missed you. And I want to be able to get a, a place and go places that we've talked about. And I've lost so much of my time that I can't get back that I don't want to take any more chances of not being able to do things with you because we got a lot of time to make up for. I'm going to get me a good job, and I'm gonna, we're going to save some money up. We're going to buy the house we've been wanting. We're going to get that car that we've been wanting. I've got this new degree now, so I should be able to get a good job when I get out. Um, you know, I, I'm, re I'm sober now because I've, um, you know, I've been here and I've detoxed, so I'm not on anything no more, and I'm sober and I'm clean. And you come out, and the world says, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you think you're doing? You want a job where? And whose home you think you're going to live in? Oh, uh, we can't approve this loan for that car. Oh, uh, your credit report um, is not reliable. Um, it says here you, you've been convicted. Um, you know, you've done time. Can you can you account for your time loss here? Uh, you know, or, or uh, you know, so you're restricted on money. And, you know. Maybe the way you were surviving before, you were like, you know, I don't know, what's the slang, slinging or whatever. So what, do you fall back into your way in order to survive, take care of your family? And just pray to God that you don't get caught again? How is that fair? How is that fair? How is that right? When you come out of there, you have served your sentence. And they release you. That's exactly what should happen. You shouldn't have limitations on your freedom when you're supposed to be free. You've already served your time. You've already served your sentence. You've already been processed. You've already done your your due diligence or whatever the freak it's called. Maybe that's not even how to word it, but you've, you've paid your dues. And now you come out into a world that wants to continue your sentence and manipulate it to what works for them. Now, I, I understand that people have the right to protect themselves, 
you know, because this today's society in this world today is, I'm not even going to say it's just crazy. Gone to hell in a handbasket with a bow on top of it, you know, but, um, people do have the right to protect themselves. At the same time, too, though, how is anybody supposed to, to, how can you tell and know somebody is not the same person unless you give them a chance? Because that's what being in prison is supposed to be about. Rehabilitation and redirection and trying to provide a better way of life for when you are finished with your sentence to come back out to society so you don't recommit a crime to come back. That's my thought. Now I, um, I have printed off some more stuff, um, but honestly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait to read this because, like I said, I'm gonna do this in different sections because this is such a big, huge thing. Um, because this is the way of the world, and there are so many, so many people that go in and out of the system. Um, and I actually, I'm going to spin off here just a little bit and touch a different direction, actually, because it just reminded me of this other paper that I had. Um, so let's talk employees and employers, okay? So I got this off of, um, oh, where did I get this off of? Hold on here, let me, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> I know it was on here somewhere. It's called the Federal Bonding Program. You have the Federal Bonding Program, the Work Opportunity Tax Credit, which is a federal tax credit. And um, so basically, in a nutshell, if I understand this correctly, this is a program that is a federal program that compensates employers Hiring felons. Now I'm going to read this. I've got a few papers here, but I'm already an hour and five minutes in this. So um, I'm going to read this and see what we, how far we can get because I don't want to take up like all of your time. But I really feel like this is something that needs to be discussed. And it's, it's something that needs to be understood. But it also might help some people that are in, uh, that might not even realize that these programs exist out here. So if you are a felon or convicted of something that's hindering you from getting a job or a place or whatever the obstacles may be, um, especially a job, um, and you don't know this, this might help you um, be able to have a little bit of, I want to say leverage, but leverage um, for employers um, and an incentive, if you will, to hire you. Um, so it says, it starts off saying, we've got your back, explanation point. <laughs> I says, let's be open. Many of us have backgrounds, have done things that we're not proud of, and have been in jail. Landing that job, being able to pay your bills, and take care of your family, that's what it's all about. The federal bonding program can help. We can provide fidelity bonding to the employer who hires you, providing a sense of security for the six months of your employment, for the first six months of your employment, 
It's easy and provided to you at no cost. So what they do is they come into this employer for six months. Okay, so basically, because I, I, re I read this and I underlined some stuff on this. Um, so let me finish reading this and I'll come back to where I'm at, okay? Because it's not this, this particular page isn't very long. It says, each, uh, each year, thousands of justice-involved citizens return home to restart their lives. Unfortunately, to ridicule discrimination and hostility. No wonder annually America's 600,000 returning citizens are experiencing an uphill battle that most times leads to basically reincar reincarnated. <laughs> Sorry. Reincarnated. Sorry. Um, anyway. Um, many of those incidents involve repeat uh, non-violent non offenses due to the lack of access to education, health and mental care, treatment, housing, training, and employment. If you are seeking bonding services um, and or a job, you should call the following toll-free number, which I have this number I'm going to give you. The location of the workforce office, not one-stop center nearest your home, and the telephone number to the state bonding coordinator for your state. In those states, a state bonding coordinator caller, callers will be referred to the nearest center. Um, One-stop center for employment assistance. In most cases, bond procurement may be handled over the phone, so you need not travel to the office. So, in reading farther into this, which is a because uh, I underlined a bunch of different things. Um, so let me, let me give you this phone number um, first, so you have this phone number. But basically, what it's from my understanding and reading additional from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Um, so you go and you you they have what they call a. Um, a black box law, um, which is not in every area, unfortunately, which I think it should be, which is not allowed to ask you uh, your criminal history background. You're not supposed to check the box of do you have a felony or whatever misdemeanor. Some places have that law where it is not allowed on your application. I'm not for sure if that is in the area that you're at, but it might be something to look into. Um, and they're not allowed to ask you your birth date. They're not allowed to ask you about your family status. If you're married, have children. They're not allowed to ask you about your, um, your personal life. Um, you know, if your parents are still living. They're not allowed to ask you anything. Everything is supposed to be professional job-related information. Um, so, anyway, let me give you this 800 number, then I'll elaborate. So, this um, phone number is 800-233. 2258. That's 800-233-2258. And this is um, supposed to be information on helping you to find um, information about this program. So, from my understanding, I'm going to pull this, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pull this out here. So, what they do, if I'm understanding this right, is they hire you, they offer you a job, and um, when they offer you a job, then they're allowed to do a background check on you after they, after they offer you the job. They should not base offering the job to you based on your criminal history of hiring. So 
they go through the the interview process. They, if they like you or whatever, based off you as the person, they want to hire you. Then they can do a background check on you and then base the information based off of that. And it says basically that they should then um, talk to you about it and give you a chance to explain yourself and hear you out. And the uh, this federal bonding program, um, it says it protects employers against employees uh, for fraud and dishonesty in the first six months of employment at no cost to the job applicant or the employer. The primary targets um, justice-involved individuals, people who have been previously incarcerated or returning to the community, and other job seekers who have faced difficulties defining employment. So what they do is they go and they pay the employer a certain amount of money for the first six months of your your employee uh, status, your employment status. So for the first six months of your employment, um, they are giving the employer money to hire you as a felon and give you a chance to prove yourself. So you have six months to go in there and show them what you got. At no cost to you and at no cost to the employer, neither one of you are out anything. If anything, you're both going to gain a very nice, lasting, um, you know, steady employment background, you know, together, you know. Uh, and that is something um, to think about. And it says coverage begins once an applicant receives a job offer and support, supports employees who have federal taxes automatically deducted from their pay. So obviously you want to pay taxes. The bond will be sent to the employer within 10 business days. The amount of fidelity bond coverage from the employee's first six months of employment to protect employers against employee theft, forgery, larceny, and embezzlement is anywhere between $5,000 to $25,000. Bonds can be purchased to cover already employed workers who need bonding to prevent being laid off or to secure a transfer or a promotion to a different job with a current employee or employer. Um, so obviously, that is something to uh, to remember. Um, and I do know that um, this does happen because I, my same friend that I've been talking to. Um, her uh, husband has a felony on him for back child support. And um, he's run into a lot of obstacles because of this. Finding a place to live, a job, and this, that, and the other. Well, his employer um, knew about this program. And um, I think she said they got like $10,000 or something um, for hiring her husband. I'm not for sure on the exact amount, but it did happen. Um, so I do know this is a thing. Um, so that is something that you might want to think about. Um, and it says, additionally down here, how do I ex access the bonds? To access, access the bond, and this is the um, the Fidelity bond coverage. This is the, um, the federal bonding program. Um, they call it a bond. 
Uh, it's not the bond of like, you know, getting you out of jail, that kind of bond. This is a different kind of bond. <laughs> um, it says to access, the bo access a bond, contact your state bonding coordinator um, by either visiting, um, they've got a website um, here, or a toll-free number. And the toll-free number is 877-872-5627. And um, that's 877-872-5627. And they gave the big, long uh, website. Uh, but if you go on the Chamber of Commerce um, and look up um, this, this um, information, um, all this is on there, and you can feel free to read it. Um, it says you must provide a valid and secure job offer, employee or company information, and the employee's full legal name. Um, so, and it's from the Federal Bonding Program website. So, um, as an employer, um, this is something that you may consider. Um, it also helps you a nice incentive of security because, I mean, admit it though, we hire people that don't have criminal backgrounds and um, they don't always pan out, you know. So at least here you're giving somebody an opportunity to be able to have a second um, chance at life and it's at no cost to you. Instead, you're, you're getting an incentive out of it and getting some money put in your pocket to give this particular person six months to prove themselves to you and also to themselves. Because if they were to get a job, that's a big, huge self-esteem booster for one. But two, they have a sense of security left now into the world and actual hope of actually being able to take the rehabilitation that they tried so hard to achieve and actually make it into a reality. So maybe you can look at it that way and as an employee go in there and show them what you got go on in there with your bad no, i don't want to say your bad self go in there with your good self but slang term i guess bad self go in there and show them what you got show, show them what benefit you bring to that table and give it all you got you might surprise yourself on what you can do, and in a good way. Because the biggest and most hardest thing to believe in, I feel like, is ourselves. And when you come out of somewhere where you've been told what to do, where to go, how to go there, and when to take a shower, when to even go to the bathroom, uh, when to go to bed, when to get up, um, when to eat, you know, when to this, when to that, your whole your whole life is dictated and, and at the mercy of somebody who is not on a power trip. And you come out. Show them what you got. And don't give up. And I know that's easier said than done. And I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like to be you. But I do know that there are some success stories out there in this world, too. And that doesn't mean you can't be one. And the greatest students are teachers, and the greatest teachers are students. And when you're both, 
you can be a really great rehabilitated mentor for somebody else that needs someone like you. Find a, fi find a positive place to put your feelings, to put your state of mind, for, to put you, have a positive outlet. Whether it's giving back to somebody else, being a mentor, um, whatever the case may be. You can be a volunteer, you know, somewhere. And sometimes you can be a volunteer somewhere, and that can also get you in the door of something. And I do know that, unfortunately, sometimes we are limited on educational resources um, if you do have a conviction of some sort. But that doesn't mean there's not opportunities out there for you. And I'm not going to pretend that I don't know that there aren't roadblocks because this is the whole reason for this podcast. And why I might not have ever sat behind those walls, I had four people in my life that were really close to me that were all incarcerated at the same time at different facilities. And you talk about keeping up uh, in that monopoly world financially. And um, I know what it's like to be on the outside looking in and looking on the other side of the glass and the other side of that phone or trying to get that contact hug. Been there several times. For years I've been there. I might not be you, but that doesn't mean I don't believe in you. So please keep your head up don't give up look into this program look in other programs there are places that do hire felons there are places out there that will only hire felons and if you and your homies or whoever however you want to say it maybe it sounds a little childish you and your homeboys your nomies <laughs> one all gets together as a group and go to the same employer you know how much money that employer is going to get by hiring all you felons Quite a nice chunk of change to give you guys all chances. And they can give you a chance, but it's up to you to make something out of it. Don't go backwards. Backwards didn't work for you. Put it in God's hands. Believe in yourself. And um, I pray that everything ends up getting better in this world. Not only for you, but everybody else involved. But it's got to start somewhere. And to keep putting people into a system that is just a revolving door isn't where it's at. And if you are struggling with something, your mind is playing tricks on you, are you having severe PTSD, or whatever the case may be, there are resources out there for you. I might not know what they all are, but they are out there. Your mental state of mind is just as important as anything else. And I say it in every podcast, or I try to, 988 is a suicide prevention line. They do have resources and people that can help direct you to get you help. But also, too, just because you're a felon doesn't make you any less than a human being. It doesn't mean you don't matter. Because you do. Please do not forget that. For whatever it's worth. Me saying it in your ear. 
you matter. And the world is a better place with you in it. You might not feel like it. Other people might not agree. But if God has forgiven you, so should everybody else. And that's where I'm going to end it right now. And I hope everybody has a safe and blessed evening. And as always, if you have dedicated your time out to listen to me, I thank you very wholeheartedly because it is one part of your life that is valuable, precious, and you can't never get back. And that's your time. And if you have shared it with me, then you have given a part of your life and your time dedicated to me. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. And again, if you have any comments or any suggestions or any information, uh, please feel free to share. I also have a YouTube channel now. Um, I do not have video on there yet, but my podcasts are being saved on there. Um, well, actually, the last two here on out are being saved on there. The ones prior to the last one before this one, they're all on my, on my Podbean. Um, but I do have a link on my YouTube that goes to Podbean, and I am working on going to do video um, presentations I'm going to do recorded. Um, obviously, I can't do live because I do take care of my mother, um, and there's times that I have to stop to go help her or do something for her. And if I'm doing a live thing, it's that's just not going to work. You guys are just going to be staring into the into the air <laughs> if I'm not in here. Um, this way, I can pre-record it, and I can pause it, and I can come back. Um, I do plan to have guests and stuff eventually. Um, so it is in the works. I am trying to work with that. But my YouTube channel is the uh, at sign at D, D, E, E, let me clear my throat. Um, so if you go on YouTube and you put that in, it should take you to my beautiful page of my beautiful picture. Um, and then, of course, it just has, like, my picture and my me talking. So, um, yeah, feel free to check me out, save, um, pass it on, however you uh, do it. I'm still trying to learn all this. So, um Anyway, I will end it now because I'm going to start rambling. Um, and I do hope everybody has a safe and blessed evening. And again, 988 Suicide Prevention Line, uh, Helpline. Um, but there are also other researches, uh, resources, excuse me. Um, and the federal bonding program is 800 233 2258. So, hope everybody has a safe and blessed evening. And I will hopefully uh, do another podcast here soon and kind of pick up uh, a little bit more information that I have. So stay tuned for that. Have a good night. Thank you.